with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, February 24th. We begin with the latest on the Russian attack on Ukraine. We catch up with Duane Bratt, political science professor from Mount Royal University, who happens to be in Berlin, Germany, visiting family this week. Then we continue our conversation on the ongoing conflict in Eastern Europe. We speak with Danny Bello from the Department of International Affairs at Carleton University. And we ask the professor what we as Canadians can do to help the citizens of Ukraine. Next, it's our monthly conversation with Deborah Yedlin, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. We asked Deborah what she and the Calgary businesses represented by the Chamber would like to see from the provincial budget being released today. And finally, it's a chance to spruce things up around your house. The Calgary Home and Garden Show is on now at the BMO Centre. We speak with HGTV host and renovation expert Brian Baumler on what we can expect from this year's show. Russia's military moved into Ukraine early this morning and claims that it wiped out Ukraine's entire air defense in a matter of hours. Dwayne Bratt, professor of political science at Mount Royal University, is in Berlin, Germany right now and joins us to talk about the politics and the tone in Europe as a result of this invasion. Good morning to you, Dwayne. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Sue. Uh, okay, is this a political scientist's dream or nightmare that you would end up vacationing in Germany right now when, you know, war breaks out? Absolute nightmare. Um, I'm I'm here visiting my son and his family who, who live in Berlin, and a couple days ago we were doing some tours around the Brandenburg Gate and the various embassies that surround that. This was about an hour after uh, Russian troops went into Donbass on the east side of Ukraine, and there were already protesters uh, outside the Russian embassy. Then the next day, uh, they put the, the colors of the Brandenburg Gate in, in the, uh, the, the, the colors of the Ukrainian flag, and early this morning there were thousands of people down at the Brandenburg Gate. So it's uh, to put this into context, Berlin to Kiev is about the same distance as Calgary to Vancouver. Mm. Mm. Wow. You're right there. So does this put all of Europe on edge, uh, Duane? Absolutely. The, yeah. um, there's, there's already a joint statement from NATO and the European Union. Um, they said that this is not just an attack on, on Ukraine. This is an attack on the political stability and peace of Europe. Um We'll have to see what the response is. They're talking massive economic sanctions. Uh, one of the big items is the Nord Stream 2 oil or gas pipeline from Russia to Germany. Um, several days ago, after the um, intervention into Dundas, um, the Chancellor Schultz uh, suspended that, so there is no gas flowing. Now the question is, will they, will they terminate the, uh, the project? Um, and NATO, uh, there's also a large NATO contingent in Latvia, which is also along the Russian border. Latvia is a NATO ally, and there are several hundred Canadian troops there right now. Dwayne, should we be worried about Putin's warning that any country getting in the midst of this invasion would see consequences never experienced before? Should the world be worried? I, I think we should. I mean, uh, he got away with the uh, the invasion of Georgia in 2008. Uh, he got away with the invasion on annexation of Crimea in 2014. But this is a much larger. I mean, there are tens of thousands of troops rolling into Ukraine. You've got uh, attacks in almost every major city. You've got cyber attacks. 
going on. Civilians are just scared uh, to death, as they should be, and they are hiding in the in the subway stations. Uh, Ukraine's got 40 million people. Uh, it is not a small country, and uh, there's a very long border, as I mentioned. You know that includes the Baltic states and other countries along the uh, with, with Russia. So this is very worrisome. Probably the most worrisome event in the last 80 years in uh, in Europe. You put it in perspective 80 mm-hmm. years back. Uh, Duane, I'm wondering, you know, is this just to increase the footprint of Russia? What is the ultimate end game, end goal for Vladimir Putin? Well, Putin has always said that the greatest tragedy of the 20th century was the disappearance of the USSR. And I think he would like maybe not to reconstitute it, but to have those former republics that have become independent to simply be vassal states of Russia. Uh, Belarus is officially independent, but as you can see, Lukashenko, the the dictator of Belarus, is is in the pocket of Putin. Um, Putin gave a very strong speech just a couple days ago where he denied the historical reality of of Ukraine, called it an artificial creation uh, by the West. And so does he want... You know, Ukraine to be part of Russia, you know, some of it, yes, but I think he just wants to destabilize that mm-hmm. and put the rest of the West on, on notice. Dwayne, Ukraine's president has called on citizens. Any, anybody ready to defend the country is, is welcome to come forward, saying they would actually issue weapons to anyone who wants them. That has got to be unprecedented and terrifying. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're talking about partisan type warfare. You know, where, um, you know, if the, if the military is, is under siege, you basically have civilians fighting, uh, just as we saw with the, the French occupation. I mean, that's the model that they're using there. And so, yes, you know, economic sanctions may punish, uh, Russia, may punish Putin and his cronies, but that doesn't help the Ukrainian people right now. Um, you know, trying to bring in lethal aid into Ukraine. That's very difficult in, in what's now a, a war zone. So the question is, where where does this go next? The other question, and I... especially bear in mind, I mean, Russia, forget about the, the size of its conventional army, is also the second largest nuclear weapon state in the world. Yeah, and therein lies the the delicate issue. And and I'm wondering, you know, on that to that point, all eyes on NATO and and what's going to be done you know, uh, strategically by NATO, all eyes on the U.S. And uh, President Joe Biden, this is one heck of a test, uh, you know, for a president who, you know, has not been through a conflict like this. I'm wondering, you know, uh, you know, what is the right move for somebody like President Joe Biden? What is the right move for the U.S.? Well, he's speaking with his advisors right now. This is not, you know, a full incursion. I mean, this is a full-scale war. Um, and it's it's tough to overestimate that. The question is, how do the Americans respond? How do they coordinate with their, their European allies? I think it's too early to tell here, but uh, this cannot remain. This, this cannot stand. Dwayne, we actually got a texter in who's comparing what Putin's doing using the same strategies that Hitler used. Do you think we can draw comparisons there? I think the comparisons are you started to see the activity that, that Hitler did in the 1930s, you know, going into the Rhineland you know, the Sudetenland, Austria, you know, uh, on and on with what he did in Chechnya, which is part of Russia, which he then did in Georgia in 2008, which is what he did in Crimea in 2014. And this is, 
This is the equivalent of the invasion of Poland in the fall of 1939. Mm. Wow, incredible. So, you know, just a, a personal question, Dwayne. Are you going to be uh, sticking around in, in Berlin? Uh, I've, this... <laughs> I'm actually scheduled to leave tomorrow morning. Um, my my wife actually went down to a, to a museum in a previously scheduled appointment. I, I just told her I couldn't. Uh, and then Chris, my son, dropped her off at the museum, and then he went to the Brandenburg Gate, which is then he sent me the, the photos and the video that I posted up. Dwayne, thank you so much for joining and, us this and, morning. And, and tonight, uh, like my, my daughter-in-law is also a member of the German Foreign Service. Oh. And so I can imagine the dinner conversation tonight will be similar to what we've been talking about all week. No doubt. Be safe. I hope your family is safe. And thank you so much for the update. Really appreciate your perspective, uh, you know, ironically that you're in Europe right now. So thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Thanks, Sue. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Dwayne Brad, Professor of Political Science at Mount Royal University. It was anticipated to happen. Uh, now Russia has invaded Ukraine. What will Canada's role be in this conflict? With insight into the current situation in Eastern Europe, we are joined by Danny Bello, fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Good morning to you, Danny. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the program. Thank you for being here. First of all, you know, was anybody on the globe shocked at what happened in the past 12 to 16 hours with the invasion? Well, it was certainly a shocking uh, unfolding of the, what was hap- what's happening right now that we're seeing, which is a very fluid situation in Ukraine. Um, certainly the world was shocked because um, there were uh, reports uh, anticipating this kind of action, but certainly when this unfolded, it was a shock for everyone. Danny, we're already hearing about deaths in Ukraine. Is it, are there truth to rumors that there have been rocket attacks, et cetera, going on already in that country? Yes. So what we're currently seeing are uh, confirmed reports of uh, Russian forces firing missiles and artillery on Ukrainian military infrastructure and installations and strategic infrastructure in northern, central, eastern, and southern Ukraine. Well, and let's talk about, you know, these you know, the points of entry and why they were chosen. Do we know strategy-wise why the certain areas have been chosen by the Russians? Um, well, the uh, different locations were chosen as um, Ukraine's strategic military infrastructure. And the whole purpose of this operation for now is the demilitarization of Ukraine and preventing Ukraine from becoming a hub for NATO forces. Danny, what is it exactly that Russia and Putin want from Ukraine? Is it, is it the land? Is it their resources? Is it the access to the Black Sea and therefore the Mediterranean? What are they after particularly? So uh, what Russia is seeking in the short run is uh, to prevent uh, Ukraine from joining the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And as we see over the last 12 hours, it's willing to use military force to achieve that goal. And, you know, as we stand on the sidelines here, Danny, and, and wonder what can be done, particularly here in Canada, the other side of the globe, you know, what could we do that would be most effective to try to help those uh, Ukrainians who are, you know, under attack uh, essentially right now? Right. So one of the things that we have to exclude is any um, military counteractions against Russia, considering it is a nuclear power and um, any direct confrontation could be catastrophic. But what we do expect to see is um, the implementation of new san- round of sanctions against Moscow by um, Canada and other, um, other allies. So what we may expect to see is, for example, the cutting of Moscow from the SWIFT uh, payment system 
or the imposition of new round of sanctions on Russian financial institutions. So we hear that word thrown around a lot, sanctions. What exactly does that mean and, and what can leaders of the other countries do that, that is punishment? I mean, you talk about financial institutions. What exactly are we cutting off their flow of money? Is that an example? Right. So basically, um, a new round of sanctions targeting financial institutions, meaning that uh, Western banks and um, Western financial institutions will not be able to do business with Russian financial institutions. And there are various mechanisms um, that are available to us and the U.S. and other countries. And then when we talk about the NATO actions, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, doing uh, some sort of a I guess you'd say bolstering to, to, to kind of show some force and some support for, for uh, Ukraine. What would our role be in that? Would we send, you know, something as far as, you know, from the military world uh, to that uh, part, of the, uh, part of the world? Well, what we saw thus far is uh, increased troop presence um, in uh, the Baltic region, Poland, Romania, um, to signal to Russia that uh, this is going to be uh, a tripwire if, Moscow decides to take the conflict further west, and this is something that we do not expect to see. G7 leaders expected to meet today, including our Prime Minister. What might we anticipate comes out of that exactly? I mean, sanctions seem to be sort of a longer-term um, punishment. What, what happens in the short term? Well, right now what we're expecting to see is uh, the G7 leaders coming together and analyzing the range of options. Um, what is unlikely to be the case is a deployment of troops to Ukraine. But as uh, I mentioned earlier, um, we will likely see a new round of sanctions that are likely to be the most severe thus far. Danny, I'm wondering, you know, it's, it's interesting. We, we kicked the program off talking about what is happening in the region and an incredible time watching, to a large extent, history unfold in front of our eyes and, and trying to compare it to something. And I was going back to 1991 in the Gulf War, um, and uh, Sue brought up World War II, and I you know, think that she might have a closer analogy in the sense that, you know, this conflict and uh, where it's taking place, can we compare it to any previous conflicts we've seen, Danny? Well, especially when well, we're talking about the um, uh, post-Cold War era, this is something new. This is a new environment, and the stake here is the entire security architecture of Europe of the post-Cold War era. We saw multiple confrontations with Russia, but the magnitude of confrontation that we're seeing now is something new, and it's an environment we'll have to navigate. Thanks so much for your take on the situation this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on your program. Thank you. Danny Bellow is a fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Something we'll have to navigate. You hear what Danny said there, and, you know, that's very ambiguous. Navigate. And I, and I like what he mentioned when he said... You know, with NATO, it's that kind of a tripwire because that answered a huge question for me. If nobody is going to, you know, if, if, if we're going to be showing support that we can, you know, at what point do we set foot, put foot into this conflict versus standing and having that line drawn in the sand saying, OK, this is it. You know, if you're, you're doing what you're doing right now, we're going to hit you with the economic sanctions. We've tried diplomacy. We're going to try what we can, mm -hmm. you know. I don't, it's interesting to me, very interesting, but at the same time, at the heart of it, there's innocent people being killed. I think what the U.S. does will be most interesting because Canada, as you say, we, we don't have a military. It's not like we're sending forces in there, but the U.S. certainly has the troops. Will they send more in? What will what will their response be to this? And and the G7 leaders, I mean, it better be something strong and, and worthwhile when they come together today and, and come up with something 
His words aren't going to help the people in Ukraine right now. Well, but the other part that Danny mentioned is a, a nuclear power. You know, we use the term, we don't use the term superpower as much anymore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, having the possession of nuclear weapons and understanding what can happen if, uh, you know, tempers flare. Uh, this is not a, a regular conflict when you're dealing with someone who could push a button. And, uh, you know, many, many lives, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, could be lost. Um, wow. You know, like you mentioned earlier in the program, in 2022, what we're dealing with. We'll be watching it throughout the morning, obviously throughout the days ahead uh, and continue to bring out, to bring you, you know, fallout from all of it, including we'll talk to Faisal because the markets are already taking a huge hit because of the conflict and the Russian invasion. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about this throughout the morning. Today is budget day in Alberta. The premier promising an historic investment in health care. But will there be help for businesses with insight into what support is needed to get Calgary's business sector on the road to recovery? We're joined this morning by Deborah Yedlin, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. Big day today. Are you anticipating any specific help for businesses in today's budget? We're hoping for some help for businesses because we need to, you know, have measures in place that address the labor shortage, that potentially uh, um, look at for, for opportunities to address the supply chain challenges. Obviously, there's an inf- there's inflationary pressure, and then businesses are still trying to pay down the debt that they incurred during the pandemic. So there's still a number of challenges that businesses are facing, and we're hoping that there will be some measures in the budget that will address some of these pressures. In, in in what form, Deborah, would we see you know some relief, some help? What what sort of a structure do you see would be most beneficial to local businesses? Well, we need to see programs that address the labor shortage, and how do we make sure that the skills that we have that are resident within the community can be matched with the job vacancies that we know exist? And do we need to have training programs set up that are you know of a time frame that the government can support? to make that connection to help workers upskill, reskill. Some of those programs don't have to be very long, but they need to be in place. And there needs to be funding and there needs to be a structure for it. So we're really hoping that we'll start to see some more of those initiatives uh, articulated in the budget today. Deborah, I'm curious, you know, pre-budget, do you kind of get the ear of the Premier at all to sort of whisper things that you or whatever other organization or group might want? Is there any kind of communication like that ahead of the budget? We do uh, prepare a, a budget submission on behalf of businesses through the chamber, and we do have the opportunity to speak with with the finance minister in advance. And so uh, we have had the opportunity to uh, elevate everything from the fact that we need to address the labor shortage, that we are still very concerned about the hard hit sectors, you know, including tourism and hospitality, not for profits, obviously small businesses, you know, 95% of our businesses in Calgary are small businesses. So we need to make sure that their their concerns are heard we still want to make sure that the governments continue to fall through on child care. That's another thing we've talked about. Uh, and of course, from a from a broader economic perspective, we want to see the government commit to supporting in emissions reductions initiatives because that's really important for the long-term uh, economic prospects for Alberta. So those are some of the things we're looking at. Of course, we're looking for downtown revitalization support as well because a lot of those businesses downtown have been very challenged. People have not been working downtown. They've been very... Uh, they really haven't seen the kind of customer flow that they've seen in the past. And uh, we need to do something to not just revitalize downtown, but to rebalance the tax base and to go hand in hand. Very interesting, you know, with the timing of this budget, Deborah. Like, for example, if this was, you know, tabled six months ago 
and knowing what we know now versus back then oil revenues it's got to be a game changer for the yeah. province and and even you know with the actions on the world stage today yeah boy it's good it's going to be a different budget maybe than even a handful of months ago that's absolutely true when you think about where we are today from an energy pricing perspective whether it's natural gas prices or oil prices the fact that uh, the oil sands project some of them are reaching payout which means royalties are going to be increasing significantly to the to the government and of course the cash flows of the oil companies themselves are are starting to, to to notch up. It is a very different budget, a very different situation that we were certainly a year ago. Just think of what um, Finance Minister Tape said that there was the thought of a balanced budget was just so far out because of where we were from a, from a commodity price perspective. So it means that there is more pressure on the government to reinvest, mm. and that's the other thing we're going to be looking for because what we need is a long term view, and that means investing, as I mentioned before, in our labor market. So with hiring programs and retraining programs, but it also means investing in our post-secondary uh, sectors so that we have the skills to address the economy of today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Long-term planning, I think that's what a lot of Albertans are hoping for and not sort of the, you know riding that roller coaster. You yeah. mentioned it early, uh, Deborah, about the, the debt from the pandemic for so many of our businesses and business owners. Do you have any sort of stats or information on how many of them might be sort of in you know dire straits in terms of the, the debt they've taken on through the past two years? Well, we know that 70% of, of businesses accessed some form of government support. So that tells you that they really needed to use those, those funds that were available. But so many of them were adding debt to their, to their balance sheets and they've had to cut back, you know, their operations, whether they've had to lay, lay off staff. People have worked really hard to stay afloat and access the supports. And so, you know, on an absolute basis, I don't have that number, but we do know that businesses had to access uh, the supports of government added to their debt levels. And of course, that means you are compromised in terms of your your flexibility, right? When you have too much debt, you don't have the option to expand your business to grow it the way you might want to because you really have to deal with with that debt load. So we're hoping, you know, the interest rates are low. We are also hoping that the federal government will consider uh, altering repayment schedules and uh, looking at other measures to support businesses longer term as well. Just before we let you go, Deborah, of course, all eyes will be on Saturday when Premier Jason Kenney will announce, uh, you know, what we're doing on March 1st with easing restrictions, perhaps, and maybe masks uh, gone the way of the dinosaur. What are you hearing from businesses, you know, surrounding that? I know I'm asking is something that's contingent on an announcement that hasn't happened yet, but what are you hearing? Well, I think, you know, as we move through the next phase of addressing how we respond to the pandemic, uh, businesses really want to see more flexibility in terms of how they operate. They will welcome fewer restrictions for sure. I was actually uh, texting with a restaurant owner earlier this morning and said that really uh, the fact that the REP disappeared meant that it was less stressful for him as a business owner, as a restaurant owner, and that everybody had been very respectful in terms of the way they were interacting within his establishment. So I think that anything that opens the economy and gives consumers confidence is something that we should be uh, supportive of. Having said that, there is a generalized level of anxiety in terms of the fact that we know people can still get sick. We know that people are still, the vaccination rates still need to go up. And so there is still some unease in terms of who's vaccinated, who's not, and what kind of uh, places people will go to and, and be part of. But, you know, if you if you are looking to go to an, to an event and the, there'll be more people there next week than they were this, this last week, 
I think people are going to be happy about that. Okay, and uh, can you tell people, you know, you're, you're doing an event to bring the business community together? What is it about? We are. We are having our uh, energy summit on the 2nd of March, and we're bringing together uh, industry experts. We're bringing together uh, people to talk about uh, everything from the future of LNG in Canada to technology, innovation. We're going to have a panel on Pathways to Net Zero. It's taking place at the TELUS Convention Centre in person. We're very excited about that. We're going to be bringing people together and being able to hear about what's happening in the energy sector, what to keep an eye out for. And we're finishing the day with a pitch session uh, where there will be a number of companies who are working in that transition, transformational energy space, talking about what they're doing, what their business plans are. So it's a very exciting day for us, kicking it off with uh, uh, Mayor Gondek's going to be speaking and also RBC Economics will be giving us a high-level view of, of the energy market and the economic piece and really setting the stage for, for what we can expect from energy in the coming uh, 12 months. It'll be very exciting for us. Good stuff. All Registration's uh, open until Monday. Good. All eyes on March 2nd. Thank you so much, Deborah. Thank you. Deborah Yedlin, President and CEO, Calgary Chamber Online, calgarychamber.com. Well, spring is just around the corner, and if you're looking to do some renos to your home this year, inside or out, you'll want to head down to the Calgary Home and Garden Show this weekend with some insight into where to get started and what's happening at the BMO starting today. We're joined by Canada's renovation guru. That's what we're calling him today, HGTV's <laughs> Brian Baumler. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Hey, we're thrilled to have you back in Calgary, and you're hitting the main stage a couple of times. Is it today and tomorrow? Today and tomorrow will be on the main stage at 6 p.m. Fantastic. What are you focusing on this time around? Uh, You know, it's the same every... I shouldn't say it's the same every time. It's the same format every time, but everything. Um, I'll talk a little bit about our experiences in the past few years down in the Bahamas, you know, opening a hotel two weeks before a global pandemic Mm -hmm. and a worldwide stoppage on travel happened. Uh, Some behind-the-scenes, you know, information. And I really want to focus on talking to people about the value of their homes and where to put their money in their homes to create more value, to save money on long-term maintenance and ownership, and, and also about getting into the housing market, which is, is a hot topic right now, mm-hmm. and, and why people need to get in you know, before it's too late. And what an interesting time, Brian, in that we've spent more time, arguably, in our homes than we <laughs> have in our entire lives. And now you know, here we are looking at these four walls and these projects that, you know, you've been kicking around ideas, you want to hit the go button. Now, are you finding, you know, from your experience, you're getting a lot of questions from people who, who just want to change the drab and want to change the scenery? Yeah, definitely. Not only change the scenery, but change the way that we use our homes. People are, you know, and have been going to the office less. Uh, kids have been, you know, homeschooled at some point, and, and, and maybe, uh, you know, in the future we'll be doing that again. So people are starting to look at their homes not only as, you know, shelter and a place to live, but a place also to work and entertain and be in, but also to uh, to build their wealth and, and to build a, a retirement, a, you know, a nest egg for the future. Can you give us a little uh, a sneak peek, perhaps? You know, you have a certain amount of dollars, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. How do you make the most of that renovation budget, whatever the value you have? Well, I think historically people ask that question, where should I spend my mm-hmm. money? And the answer generally in the past has been kitchen, bathroom, basement. You know, renovate it, do a quick uh, facelift, and that's where you'll get your money in. But I think home buyers are getting a little more savvy. And if we look to the future, most people know deep down that reducing operating costs, reducing long-term maintenance costs and ownership costs of your home 
uh, puts more value into it. So you may value, you know, a lifetime roof or an upgrade in your insulation in the attic more than you do a man cave in the basement. And, and rightly so. That adds true value to your home. And as long as buyers are recognizing that, then the sellers know where to put their money. Just have to ask because we, we followed it. You know, it seemed like uh, year after year, month after month, your little island oasis. How are things going <laughs> with the resort? Tell us, tell us, give us an update. You know, to be honest, we had uh, we had a panic uh, at the beginning when we first opened the hotel. We we were operating for two weeks before the pandemic hit, and, and global travel was stopped. I mean, there was no uh, no getting into the Bahamas, let alone you know we couldn't even travel between islands in the Bahamas, and it was it was discouraging to say the least. Uh, however, um, you know, six months after that, we did reopen, and and I mean, it, it's been full, and I think people are focusing more on smaller experiential travel to smaller destinations with smaller groups of people, um, you know, to create memories rather than go to, you know, the, the cruise ship route or the, mm-hmm. or the large hotel and thousands of people route. So we do have a lot of nature, a lot of elbow room. And we stayed on the island during the pandemic and the lockdown. And, and it was uh, it was controversial with some of our family and friends. They said, you need to come home. But, uh, you know, we can go fishing for a morning and, and have food for a month there. Uh, it, it was the right decision for us, and, and it turned out that a lot of people are looking for that experience. Well, until we can get to the island, we can see you on the main stage, both today and tomorrow. It's the Calgary Home and Garden Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to chat. Uh, good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Brian Baumler, HGTV host, handyman, reno expert, and if you want more information and a couple of bucks off your tickets, calgaryhgs.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.